was the topic of last week's message? Do you guys remember? Okay, some people are paying attention. Activate your faith, okay? Hebrews 11. We're going to be in Hebrews 12 today. What this is, is a follow-up to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, it's all about these people in Old Testament times that literally did more than just believe in God and go, I believe in God. I'll do the bare minimum, go to church and pray once in a while. But they literally activated their faith in God. God gave them plans. He gave them dreams. He promised miracles. He wanted to do good things in their life. But they knew that they actually had to step out and activate the faith. You guys remember that? We talked about that. Hopefully you were challenged this week to actually do something to activate. Because the Lord said in Psalm 37 last week that he will direct our steps but it doesn't do us any good unless we, what, get to step in, right? Unless you're, unless you're moving and actually taking steps on your own to activate the faith, God can't direct your steps. So here's what we're going to talk about here today. We're going to talk about the fact that not only is it good to take the first step, but you got to keep stepping. If you want really all that the life of faith has and all the things that God has for you, you're never going to see him unless you build up an endurance and you keep going and you put one foot out in front of the other, that the miracle begins to unravel. The story gets bigger and more powerful. Your testimony, the blessing that comes, it's, it, anybody can start well, but it's how you continue and how you finish. Are you guys hearing me this morning? Tracking with me? Think about it this like, in this way. What's something in your life that you started once, it was a really good thing, but for some reason you quit and now you regret quitting? Can you guys think of something like that? What's a big one? What's a big thing that someone probably starts and then quits and they regret? Anybody? School. Going to school, right? Hopefully not in like grades K through 12, you know, because that's kind of mandatory. You need that. But maybe some of you guys started off in a college, you know, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to school and then uh, whatever reasons, no money, I'm not interested. You stop and then you're like, ah, oh, I could have been, I could have been, I should have been, I would have been, right? What about this? You know what the biggest one is for New Year's resolutions? Going on a diet or exercising at the gym, right? Anybody in here, you ever started a diet and you quit early? Yeah, right. I'm never, I'm perfect. I diet all the way to the end. What about exercise? You got the gym membership and you just went for a week and that was cool. The rest of the year, somebody else is <laughs> taking advantage of your machine. Think about it this way, is that you, you live in a community and a neighborhood or on a street and you look around at the guy on the street that started the remodel on the house and never finished it. Anybody see those around you? Like in your, right? Someone like, oh, it looks like they're going to get a new kitchen. Wow, how's that? That's cool. Then all of a sudden, er, stop. Hey, what's going on? Next thing you know, what do you see? Blue tarp. Blue tarp covering up the room addition, covering up the new expansion, whatever. And it just cruises that way forever. But see, I mean, that might be your next door neighbor. And you're like, ah, oh, such an eyesore. It could be like you, like, yeah, I know it's me, but don't even mention it. You know, like just maybe it's you. You started this awesome remodel that was going to be the extra family room, the extra space, the beautiful kitchen for your wife, the new you know, garage and clothes for your cars or whatever. It had the potential to be something amazing, but you just stopped early. In our faith, do you know that we do that quite a bit? We're going to talk about that today. We set out to do something really good that we know is going to be good for us in our lives. Man, if I go to counseling, my wife and I are going to do that. And somewhere along the line, you're just, ah, I'm over it. I'm done. I don't want to pay for it. I don't really see the results right. We stop. And, and there's a lot of people that step forward in things with the Lord. And the rest of us are watching going, whoa, their life's getting better. Oh, awesome. Oh, here comes the miracle. Here comes the testimony right around the corner. And then the person just stops where they're at and just kind of stagnates or kind of walks away from the things of God. And you're just dying inside because you're going, 
They almost had the full, oh my gosh, it could have been incredible. Well, Hebrews 12 is telling us here today, don't be that guy. You just read about Hebrews 11, all of these people that accomplished great things for faith, but it takes a little bit more than activating and stopping is you got to just keep on walking. You got to keep on stepping. And it's a lifelong journey that we have and we have to build up endurance. Well, Hebrews 12 today tells us about how we build that endurance. What is our, what is our drive and our focus so that we can keep going in the, for the long haul and that we can stand strong when things are tough and, and that we want to receive the blessing, whether here on this earth or the ultimate blessing of, of heaven one day, is we got to keep stepping. So here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. Starting in, in verse 1, you got to keep stepping. And this is what it says. This is a really neat passage. It says, therefore, therefore, meaning taking a look at what we just learned about Hebrews 11. Look at all these guys that activated their faith. Therefore, based on that, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. We just read about Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Rahab, the prostitute. We read about all of these people. Since we're surrounded by all of these guys that witnessed this great life of faith. Let us strip off everything, every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Because of their inspiration and their motivation, let's get rid of stuff in our lives so that we can move forward and run ahead. You know what it means when it says right there the words easily trips us up? It means literally in the Greek, it means the stuff that ambushes us. The stuff that we do that we know is sneaking around out there and it always seems to sideswipe us. It may be you're doing really good, but you know you have a tendency for anger to flare up and it's that one sin that comes in there and sideswipes you. He's saying, learn to identify that stuff and get rid of it. And then he says this, and then let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Here's what the whole chapter of the sermon about today is talking about is let's keep on going. Let's learn to get rid of the junk stuff and let's just keep on running because the race that we're running in life, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's not a sprint. You run harder than you stop. It's you're going to have to keep going. So build up some endurance. So he says we do this. How? By keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy that was awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now think about this. You want to say, you want to say motivated, you want to say driven in this life to hold on to Jesus? Well, just think of Jesus himself. Think of what he had to do. Think of what he dealt with, the persecution, the, the, the fact that he was punished for a crime he didn't commit. He was killed. He was murdered for it. That he was whipped. He was beaten. He was tortured. He was put on a cross naked. Talk about the shame involved with, with crucifixion. One of the ugliest, most painful deaths imaginable. Being nailed through your hands, your wrists, your feet to a cross. Think about that. And it says... Keep your eyes on Jesus who went all through all of this for you. See, now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you've not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. He goes, look, Jesus gave up his life. You, you probably aren't going to be faced with that decision. There's not many of us that are going to have a gun to our head and say, do you believe in Jesus? Yes or no. I'm pulling the trigger. That's not an everyday occurrence for us. He goes, so be encouraged, Christian, whatever you're going through to hold on. Because think of what Jesus did for us. Now, there's a couple of things I want to point out in these four verses. First of all, he talks about the witness of other people. Therefore, because of them, do this. And then he says, and, be, and because of Jesus, do this. Run the race with endurance. I want to give you guys three terms really quickly. I want to give you the part of the reasons on how we can live a life of faith that keeps stepping, that keeps going, that builds endurance. Here's the first word you need to know, inspiration. 
Inspiration is this, doing something because others with shared or common values and emotions are doing it. Because you see other people who are willing to activate their faith, Noah, you know, Abraham. What about the ladies on the video testimony last week? Vicky and Lisa, we're going to set out. We have a passion to serve God and do big things. We're going we're gonna to start programs and nonprofits that are going to pull women off the streets and get them healing and, and meet the needs and, and organize furniture to be delivered and all of this stuff. You look at people like that and you go, man, that inspires me. They have the same values, the same mindset as me. They have the same feeling stirred up in them as we're going to go against the flow. We're going to go big. We're going to step out into the things that we can't see. We're going to have faith. And you know what that does? That inspires us. And the Bible here is saying, because of these kind of people, you should be inspired to get rid of the stuff slowing you down, step out in faith and run with endurance. So I look at that and I go, God, thank you for people in my life. Thank you for people in the word that inspire me to run. But here's a second word, motivation. First, we need inspiration. It's about our feelings. I get fired up because that guy's fired up. I want to do this. Second word, motivation, means this. Doing something because of the results, whether good or bad. That means this. Well, Carl, why are you trying so hard to be on the diet and exercise or whatever? And and there's a goal. There's a result that I get from it. If I lose weight... I'm going to look good, right? Single guys out there like, oh, how come you're on a diet? I'm going to look good. I'm going to pull chicks, right? That's the word on the street, right? I'm, I'm going to get girls to like me, right? If I look good, I'm a, there's a motivation for working out and dieting because you might get a girlfriend, right? You see the, the direct result? I'm motivated because something is motivating me, the re- end result. For women, like, why do you want to lose weight? Why do you want to go on a diet? Why do you want to tone up the underarms and, you know, whatever you, you work on? It's for women. It's like, so I can fit into my little black dress, Right? Don't judge me. That's just what I hear you guys saying, ladies. Like, my wife, I, every woman needs a little black dress, and I want to be able to fit into mine, so I'm going to go on a diet. But do you guys understand motivation is based on results? Got it? Good or bad, there's something that you're going to get out of it at the end that's either going to be good or bad, so you're motivated to do something. So here's the deal. You read about Hebrews 11 and all the miracles that people got. You see their results, and you go... You know what? That motivates me. If I hold on to Jesus, activate my faith, keep walking it out, I might get a miracle like them. I might get my dream released. I might get my need met. I might get the blessing that they got. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. So here's what we need from other people. We get inspiration, feelings to fire us up, but also motivation. They got results. I want to get results too. But I want to tell you there's something that's better than inspiration and motivation. And it's this word I want you to write down. It's dedication. Because here's what the word dedication means. Doing something because of very strong support or loyalty to someone or something. Officially saying that someone or something was created for a particular purpose or to remember or honor a particular person. You know what that means? You can be inspired by other people, feelings. You can be motivated by their results. I want results like that too. But what's greater and bigger than that is dedication to Jesus, is dedication to a person, is dedication to live a life that honors Jesus Christ. See, here's the deal with dedication. Oftentimes, people will dedicate things to the memory or to honor someone. Like, uh, anybody go to Castle High School in here? Anybody? Come on, some Castle, Kanyoi people, right? James B. Castle, right? The school was named after this man that was a, a strong businessman and all of this stuff. But it was, the school was named to honor that person. 
His father before him was Samuel Castle, right? Northrop Castle that, that developed Castle and Cook, that huge company. So you got Samuel Castle, Castle and Cook, named the company after him. James B. Castle, the, the son, they named the school after him. Then, anybody ever been to Castle Medical Center? I had a kid in there. Why well, didn't? My wife did. We had, a, we had a baby in Castle Medical Center. I visited a lot of people. I've been to an emergency in there. They've, they've treated my knees. Castle Medical Center now was... Samuel's grandson, James' son, Harold Castle. But they named the hospital in honor of this man. You drive on the Leaky Leaky Highway. Anybody drive on the Leaky Leaky Highway? I drove last night. It's Route 63. But it's named after Miriam Leaky Leaky, who is the sister of King David Kalakaua. So it's like named after you. You drive on the Leaky Leaky through the what? The Wilson Tunnels. Anyone? John Wilson was a mayor of Honolulu that they named the tunnels after. But here's what I'm getting at is, is to be dedicated towards something means that you're set apart for that purpose of honoring and remembering and drawing attention for that reason. Here's, here's something you got to remember is one of the names that they call us, what's one of the names that we have? Every one of us in here that knows Jesus, Christian. You realize what name that we have that we're taking on over there? That we're named after Jesus. And here's what I want to say about this first point. Building endurance, it takes inspiration, feelings. It takes motivation, results. But you know what's bigger and better than that? Is a dedication to a person. Is dedication to Jesus and who he is. Why? Because sometimes I don't feel like being a Christian. Sometimes I'm not seeing immediate results of being a Christian. But because of keeping my eyes focused on Jesus, the champion and perfecter of my faith, my dedication to him, then I don't always have to feel it, and I don't always have to see the results, because this person, Jesus Christ, he believes in me. He loves me. He forgives me when I'm kind of unforgivable. He loves me and treats me like no one on planet Earth. He challenges me to greater things in my life. He improves my life. He changes my life. When everybody else around me, including myself, doesn't believe in Carl Moore, Jesus goes, but I believe in you and I will always believe in you. And I got a plan for your life and your future and I love you. So let me tell you this. One of the main things that drives us and sustains longevity shouldn't be just based on feelings or results, but on Jesus. And see, some of us, let's be honest, we've forgotten what our life of faith is all about because we put all of our hope and our trust in Christianity, but we forget that it's Christ, not just Christianity. See, I want to be someone that lives my life for Jesus Christ, not just going to church, reading my Bible, doing the religious thing. Is that making sense to you? See, this, this Bible, the beginning verses here are saying, how do you run the race with endurance? Well, inspiration's awesome. Remember what those guys did? Motivation. But do you know Jesus? Keep your eyes on Jesus because he's the one that loves you. In my marriage, think about this, husbands and wives out there. There's times in my marriage that I don't feel like being in my marriage, right? It's not inspiring to me. I'm, I'm not inspired by you today, honey. I'm not at all, right? And there's times when I'm not seeing immediate results of being married. Uh, this isn't doing anything good for me right now. Ugh, you know, where's the results? But in those moments, it's remembering. But I'm dedicated and I'm committed to this woman. 
that she's my partner, that I chose her, she chose me. She believes in me as we could be yelling and mad at each other. I've actually had the arguments where we're mad and like, and I'm like, I'm so mad at you right now, but I still love you. I'm so committed to you. She's like, well, what? You know, it's like just confusing, but yelling and saying, I don't care. I'm not breaking up. We're not going to ever get divorced because I'm still committed to you, but I'm so mad at you right now. And see, it's, I'm choosing something that's not based on feelings, something not based on my immediate results, but that person I have a relationship with and I'm going to hold on and run with endurance because they're worth it. Are you guys hearing me? So if you've lost sight of Christ in Christianity, it's time to come back to spending some time with Jesus. It's time, here's one thing you can do. Go read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Go spend some time, because it's all about Jesus, his nature, his personality, what he thinks of you. Fall in love with Jesus all over again. Never mind having devotions. I'm going to go read my Bible and pray. You know what you call it? I'm going to go spend time with Jesus. Put a name on it. Put a personalization on it, because that's the guy that's driving this endurance and this sustainability in our lives. Pastor Tom told me a story. He went on vacation, staycation the other week. He stayed down at a hotel in Waikiki with his wife and his two little cute little twins, Judah and Olive, two-year-olds. And um, one day they went just to go hang and be be tourists in Waikiki, right? You walk around Waikiki, you smell the coconut, like suntan lotion, and you just feel like a tourist all over again. Ah, cool. And you go eat at the different restaurants and jump in the pools and, you know, do your deal. His friends came down there with him. They walked around all day, one day, just doing the tourist thing, just having a good time, doing everything they did. The end of the day, his friend was wearing one of those little step counter things. You guys ever seen those little things? I don't know what they're called. Pet, pedometer, pet, so. Those little things, yeah, but um, ped- pedometer. He's wearing one of those, and he goes, hey, guess what, guys? End of the day, guess what we just did today? We walked eight miles. Tom's like, what? Eight miles? That's, that's awesome. How cool. We got exercise. We didn't even know it. Here's the thing. If you would have set out in the beginning of the day and said, hey, goal for the day, Tom, let's walk eight miles. Tom would have been, no, I'm on staycation. I'm just going to walk and eat and swim, and I don't want to. No, no goals. I don't want to focus on a goal of eight miles. That's ridiculous. So he wasn't focused on the results of the walk, right? And the other thing was, if you would have told him, hey, do you want to walk eight miles? He would have had no inspiration from that because he's on vacation, right? Like, hey, let's walk eight miles today. Yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm on vacation. No, listen to me. No feeling, no inspiration in walking it and no desire for a result of walking eight miles. You know, the, the, the thing is that he accomplished this goal and all he was concerned about was hanging out with the people that were around him. Are you guys hearing me on this? His wife, his kids, and his friends. He was focused on those things. And so as we're looking at this and how it pertains to our life with Jesus, faith is not so much about where you're walking to, how you're walking, but who you're walking with. Amen? It's Jesus. Inspiration? Cool. That's awesome feelings. Motivation results? Great. But I love Jesus, and I just want to hang out with him. That's how you're going to have longevity in this thing called the life of faith, Christianity, following Jesus Christ right? And it's, it's focusing on him. It's not focusing on, on the other stuff because he's faithful. He loves you. He's got plans for your life. You got to just focus on him. So first thing we see out of endurance in life, focus on Jesus. Just be concerned with the person in Jesus. Never mind all that other stuff. Just fall in love with Jesus. He's going to give you the strength. You're going to get through it and you're going to look back and go, how did I get through all of that? Jesus. He distracted you because he loves you because you have a relationship with him. Secondly, though, in the next set of verses, He's saying the reason you need to focus on him is because sometimes you will not feel it. Sometimes you will not see the results. Sometimes you will go through a season of testing. There will come a season of discipline, of correction. There's going to be in your life, I guarantee it, hardship. 
There's going to be suffering. When you're most tempted to give up and to stop walking the life of faith, it's going to come. It's going to happen. The hard times will come. Look what it says in verse 5. It says, Have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God's treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who's never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you're illegitimate and you're not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing what doing the best that they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. He's making an example. Your earthly dad did the best they could to discipline you. But your heavenly father, God, he does what is always considered best, what is always good. Now, your earthly father might have made some mistakes. God doesn't make mistakes. He knows what he's doing. So when you're going through a testing and correcting time, there's a reason. It's because he loves you. It goes on and and it says this. That no discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It is painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Here's what I wrote down on my notes. You can write this down too. Testing leads to resting. I need to remember that. Because you might be in a season of testing right now. You might be going, why is this so hard? Why is God allowing me to go through this stuff? What is going on? This is not cool. Well, the promise is the reason that you're in that time of hardship and suffering and correcting why is God allowing this is he's actually trying to make you better. He's actually trying to make you stronger because you're his kid and he wants you to grow up and to be all that he designed you to be. Look at it like this. Any parents in the room right now? You guys got kids? I talked to lots of people in this church, lots of little kids. I got three, six, 13, and 16. And sometimes they go at it and they fight each other like crazy, right? And I'm just always thinking, but I'm, I'm a Christian, God. I'm a pastor. I should have perfect children. And God's like, ha, 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 ha. Oh, it's a good one. And so my kids go at it, right? And you come over sometimes. I don't want you coming in and seeing the, the life that I live, right? I'm supposed to be this pastor and my kids are just hellions, you know? And they're just going at it. Little ones kicking the old one. Old ones throwing stuff and they're beefing it. You know, whatever's going on. And there's times in my house where I literally, I'm just so frustrated with the chaos and there's starting to fight. I feel like this. You know what, guys? I'm, I'm just going to go jump in my truck right now, and I'm just going to go drive away and have a beer. I don't even care. You guys are, I'm gonna, or I'm going to have dinner. I'm gonna, I just need to get away from you. I'll be back in an hour. Last man standing, you win. You guys sort it out, whatever. <laughs> right? You feel, any parents, come on, you feel like that? Like, get me out of here. But here's the problem, is God created us in his image to love our kids, hopefully, right? And I love my kids, and so I could never let them get away with acting that way and doing things that are stupid and bad for their lives. I don't want them growing up to be the kind of people that just irritate everyone and hate everyone. I want the best for their lives. So you know what I got to do? Punishment, discipline, correction. I got to do stuff that's uncomfortable for them. Hey, you know what? You put your iPad down, go to your room. You take the headphones out of your ears and do your homework. You need to surf less, calm down, you know, like whatever. But I got to regulate on them and I got to bring them through hardship. And you know what? Sometimes they go through life on their own and they walk themselves into their own problems 
And sometimes it's not my job to rescue them because they're learning the lesson in the midst of the hardship. And I got to let them mature and go through the kind of stuff they got to go through. Because I love them, there's going to be hard times. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be times of, a, of correction. Is anybody, is this relating you, to you today? You've been going through a hard time and you don't get it? Let me tell you this. God still loves you. God is in your hard times. In fact, because God loves you, he's allowing you to go through it because he knows you can handle it and he's making you stronger. You're better for it. If he didn't love you, it would be all bets are off. Go destroy your life. Do whatever you want. But God's going, no, I'm here and I, I, I need you to go through this because it's actually going to do something good. The hardship makes us better. James 1 verses 2 through 4 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Yeah, right. I read that. Sure, God, right? But then listen. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. In other words, he says, you grow through the hard times, you gain maturity. You gain a different outlook, a different perspective. You get stronger because of it. And you're going to come to a time of resting and of peace and of harvest. But you got to go through that hard time. See, when things are bad, they're not as bad as they seem because God created life, listen, to have seasons. Did you guys know that? Seasons are normal. He created it for everything. Look what it says in his word. He says this in Genesis 8:22. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvesting, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. In other words, he goes, things operate in seasons and in cycles. And sometimes you're going to go through hard times, but that's normal. That's expected. That's how I created life. In Ecclesiastes 3.1, it says, for everything, there's a season, a time for every activity under heaven. There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant. There's a time to harvest. There's a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build up. There's a time to cry, but there's also a time to laugh. There's a time to grieve and a time to dance. See, it's normal for lives to change, for us to go through seasons of change. The one thing we can hold on to is that God never changes. That God is still the same. And if you're in a winter time right now, he's the same God that's there with you in the summertime, and you still have a reason to worship him. There's still something good that's going on in your life. I can run with endurance even when I'm running through the hardest times because it's a fact that God loves me that he's letting me go through those times because it's going to do something good in me. Are you guys hearing me this morning? Because I would imagine that there's a lot of you guys that are going through the hard seasons and you're waiting. God, when are you going to come through? When are you going to get me to the next season? I'm waiting, God. I'm waiting. Here's what I wrote down for myself is God's still working while we are waiting so we can still worship while we wait. See, God had to teach me this in my, in my past couple years. I've gone through full-on winter season. To be honest with you guys, I don't know if I've ever really gone through a winter season before in my life. I've gone through some hard stuff, faced some losses, but it was just temporary winter season. And then I was always right back into spring and summer doing pretty good. I think a lot of times I kind of went towards fall, autumn, but then skipped winter and came right back into spring. And the past couple years of my life have been the winter, the winter of my life, the season of my life. And I'm starting to come out of it, to be honest with you. I'm starting to see like the new buds of spring and everything, but it's still been a long, cold winter. I was on sabbatical because of it. Stuff was going down in my marriage and my family and ministry, my personal life. And it's like not because of sin. And it was confusing. Why is all this stuff happening? These attacks, what's this all about? And God, God had to teach me that 
Seasons are expected and they're normal in life. And you're not always going to live in summer. There's times when you got to go through winter because God needs to teach you something that's valuable through the winter months. Are you guys hearing me? That you may be going through it right now, but here's the one thing I know. God doesn't change his, and you may have to go into winter, but here's an absolute fact that God laid down from the beginning of time. Spring always follows winter. And if you're in winter right now, you can bank on the fact that spring is right around the corner. That God is going to do something. And I'm not trying to just be like motivational, hype you up speaker. The reality is God created seasons. And we're expected, and it's normal, for you to hit the winter cold months when the ground is hard and everything's hibernating and nothing is blooming. But the reality is God is promising spring is on the way. You're going to go through the hard times holding on to me, but there's going to be a good thing that comes on, on the, around the corner. So we need to embrace whatever we're, season, we're in right now because God is in that season with us right now. I don't know where your life is at right now. You may be in the cold, hard dead of winter. God's right there with you. God knows what he's doing. He still loves you. And he's just waiting. Hey, wait, wait for spring. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be worth it. I promise you. Just watch. And then you know what happens after spring? Anyone? Summer. Summer when we just glory and live the life of the harvest and the blessing and the peace. The testing leads to resting. And we got to hold on to that. Helps us kind of keep running. And here's the last thing that I see in this, these 17 verses here to help us keep running with endurance is in, in verse 12 is when we keep stepping we step together, that there's strength in numbers. It says, so take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall, but become strong. Hey, you get strong and you make sure you strengthen other people. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Hey, make sure you live at peace. Keep unity. Make sure you're living holy lives. Holy means set apart. Make sure you and your friends are living a life that looks different from the rest of the world. You're set apart for God. You're following his plan. Then it says, says this, um, for those who are holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Make sure that you kill gossip before gossip kills you. Before bitterness and resentment among the body can corrupt many people, just be careful. Don't let that stuff get started in your life or people you love. It says, make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as a firstborn son for a single meal. You know that after, afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. See, part of us having a strong life of faith that endures and lasts forever is the fact that we're going through life together with other people that are keeping us strong and we're keeping them strong. How many of you guys know that you need to have those people in your life, that this life of faith is not meant for you to lone ranger it and just go, I got this, but that God goes, take advantage of the other people. Make sure that you're walking hand in hand, arm in arm together. There are strength in numbers. And, and when he says this, sometimes I think we tune out to this. I'm supposed to be a part of everybody in the Christian family and blah, 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 blah. I'm supposed to be responsible and strengthen other people. We, we think it's so big and it's so out there that we could never do it. The reality is God isn't necessarily calling you to everyone, but he's definitely calling you to a few people that you would have a few in your life that this really matters here, this going through life together. You can't affect everyone, but you are responsible for someone. You got to know that as Christians, all of us are responsible for someone else to go through life together with. And this is what I learned from Jesus. 
as he puts this on display in his life, is that Jesus promoted gangs and gang life. Did you guys know that? You ever thought about that before? Jesus was a thug in some kind of terms. He promoted gang life. And here's what I know. Everywhere he went, thousands of people were mobbing around him. And he was just cruising, right? And there's thousands of people, yeah, Jesus, right? And he's like, woo, let me feed you guys all fish and loaves, boom, you know? And everyone's just like, wow, thousands of people. He had this big mob that was around him. But you know what was more important than the big mob? There's a time in scripture in Luke 10 when he actually gathered his followers and he goes, you guys are the ones that are really serious. I'm about to go minister in all these towns and I need your help. I'm going to call about 70 of you guys, 70, 72, depending on the translation. I'm going to call some disciples and you guys are going to go out and represent what I'm all about. And you're going to go heal people and spread the word. And that's, so he had his 70. He had the mob, but then he had the 70. Then you break it down a little bit further. He had even less than that. He had the 12, right? The apostles, those sent out. He had those guys that he's like, no, this is now my real posse. This is where we get like real with each other, right? I'm teaching and discipling and I'm, I'm actually hanging out with them every single day for three years, more than the rest of the big crowds. But did you know this? This is what we're talking about now. Jesus actually had an inner circle that he loved and loved him more than anybody else. And you'd say, no, Jesus loved everybody equally. Uh, I beg to differ when I look at scripture. There is a few, there was actually three that he invested in more than any. In fact, Peter, James, and John, of those three, John actually writes in his book and says, describes himself as the disciple that Jesus loved, the apostle that Jesus loved. What we infer from scripture is John was probably Jesus' best friend. Jesus loved everybody equally, but he invested in people separately. He had an inner circle. He had the elite gang. Are you guys hearing me? Now, here's the deal. If I look at that, why would Jesus need that? I believe Jesus probably needed it or he modeled it so that we would follow suit after and realize how important it is to have an elite gang in our lives. And so who's the gang in your life? Hopefully you have one, but maybe you don't. But what we're learning from scripture today is in order for you to live a long life of endurance and consistency in your faith, you need a gang. You need an inner circle. You need people that are going to keep you strong in all of this. And, and why was it that he had Peter, James, and John? How do you know that they were his inner crew? Well, look at some examples in scripture. When Jesus resurrected the, his first um, resurrecting of someone from the dead, Jairus' daughter who had died, oh, the only people that were allowed in the room for the healing was the mom and the dad and Peter, James, and John. Everybody else, wait outside. I got to go in here. I got some business. Jesus went in there. He did a miracle for the first time that was a raising of the dead. Not the first time he did a miracle, but you know what he was doing in this instance? Check this out. He brought Peter, James, and John into his inner life where he revealed his real identity. Hey, you guys, you guys thought I was cool before? I'm about to do something right now that's going to tell you who I really am. Raise someone from the dead. And then he said this, I only brought you in here because I trust you three. Don't tell anybody just what you've seen and heard. Not yet. It's not my time yet. I trust you with a secret. You know what Jesus is modeling to us? We need people in our lives that we can be totally real with. We can expose who we are, the good, the bad, whatever. Because if I showed you who I really am and, and vomited out some of the things that I need to get off my chest, you guys would probably leave the church. But I have a gang of people that takes it with a grain of salt and goes, Carl, we get you. We love you anyway. Say what you need to. You can be real with us. And you know what? We'll keep it in confidence and we're not going to sp spread it all out there. And we know you're just venting right now and it's okay. I have a gang of people in my life I can be real with. Jesus is saying, you need to have those kind of people. And I'm not talking like gossip and talk stink and all of that, but there's times 
You just need to be real with someone. You need that support. That strengthens your faith. Are you guys hearing me? Does that make sense? And then there was times where he, he went to the Mount of Transfiguration. Mount of Transfiguration is when he went up on the hillside, took only Peter, James, and John, inner crew, the gang, and he met with the Lord. And the Lord spoke and said, this is my son, obey him. And it's just like, oh my gosh, God's endorsing Jesus. Jesus is lighting up and he's glowing now. He's all in white and he's glowing. What's going on? Then suddenly, here comes Elijah, here comes Moses. They appear too. And this is just this crazy God glorification moment. Peter, James, and John are on the mountainside just going, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. This is crazy. They're watching this thing happen. And it's the highlight of the pinnacle of Jesus's earthly glory. Here's the father, here's Elijah. Elijah's Moses. Peter's like, should I build like little houses, shelters for you guys? This is cool. Let's hang out all day. And Jesus is like, calm down, Peter. Yeah, it's okay. I invited you here specifically because I want to share with you three. I want to share you the highest times in my life. I want you to celebrate and rejoice and know who I am. See, who are the people in your life that when you accomplish a victory or God did something good, they're rejoicing almost more than you are for you. That's your gang, the people that love you that much, that they're the first ones when something big happens in your life. It might not mean anything to anybody else, but they're the ones that are quick to throw the party and to take you out and to celebrate with you. We need people in our lives like that. Are you guys hearing me? That's what the word is telling us here. But even further than that, they're with him in his highest heights. Then they're in the garden of Gethsemane. The night he's arrested to be betrayed, to be put on trial, and then to be crucified. And he says he brought the disciples and he made them stay away. And he says he brought Peter, James, and John a little ways with him. And he said, you three, I need you. Pray for me. Stand watch for me. I'm going to go talk to the Father. And he went and he had that interaction. And we know the human side, they fell asleep, right? They're like, oh, sorry, it's just late, God. We tried to be here for you. But he trusted them to be with him in his lowest lows. See, there's a lot of people that will grieve when you go through a hard time but there's only a small gang that's going to be in the hospital room standing watch with you for days at a time. Those are the people you need to invest in and have in your life. And they need to be followers of Jesus because what did they do? They prayed for him to have strength. He's dying. Father, take this cup if there's any way. And he said, would you guys pray with me? The prayer support, we need that as well. There was a time that Pastor Tom was married once before. His wife decided to leave him and divorce him one day. It was super hard. Nothing he could do to save it. No counseling, nothing. It just was the decision that was made. I was destroyed. He called me up in tears. And all I could do was just race over to the house that he was at, his parents' house. I sat there for several hours and just wept with him. Just prayed for him and wept with him. You know why I did that? Because I'm in Tom's gang and he's in my gang. It's the inner circle, the support that I have, that I know that in our deepest, darkest times. The past winter season I went through in my life, Pastor Tom was there texting me, meeting with me, praying for me, grieving with me. But do you understand for your life to go on and on in your faith with Jesus Christ, it's not all just on you, but God's going, I've given you people and tools that are with you to walk through the, the highest heights and the lowest lows. Is this, is this a good word for today? Some of you guys need to go and, and jump in a gang. You need to like develop, create a gang or something. Jesus on the cross, check this out, hanging on the cross, dying. He looks at John and he goes, John, from this moment on, that's your mom. Mom, from this moment on, that's your son. And from that moment on, the Bible says that Mary, Jesus' mother, moved in with John, and John actually took care of her as his own mother. Who do you have in your life that you're that close to, that they're like family that you would trust with something like that? Who can you give your kids to at the drop of a hat and go, we got to go run and do this thing. Would you please care for my kids? You know, who are the people that you'd say, if I were to die, 
I would want my kids to be raised by you, that you care for them that much. Here is the gang that Jesus had. Peter and John, they were the first to rush to the empty tomb. Hey, Jesus resurrected. He's not here anymore. Peter and John, the first guys to run over like we have in our lives and go, hey, I heard the news. Are you okay? Who's the first person that texts you when something goes down in your life, a tragedy? The first people that respond and go, are you okay? We're devoted to you. We're loyal to you. We love you. Are you okay? They ran to the tomb to see where Jesus was. This was his gang. A few days later after he, he resurrected and he was back, the disciples were out fishing. It was the three with a few others. Jesus appears. They can't see him. They're out fishing. He's on the shore. Hey, how's the, way, how's the, how's the surf doing? I mean, how's the, how's the food doing? How's the fish? Where, what's going on? And they're like, who is that, right? We're not, we're not catching anything. And then John recognized him. Oh, you know who that is? That's the Lord. That's Jesus. Throw your net on the other side of the boat. See what happens. They're like, oh, we know who that is. Peter couldn't help himself. Jumps out of the boat. Ah, Jesus. He goes swimming after him, right? Sure enough, they caught all this fish. They come in, and it's on the beach where Jesus has such an amazing, intimate talk with Peter, his boy, his gang. He goes, hey, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, you know I love you. Okay, take care of my people. Feed my sheep. Peter, let me ask again. Do you love me? Yeah. Three times he had to do it because three times before, Peter denied him, right? Peter, how much do you love me? I do, I do, I do. Take care of my people. You know what happened, right? Jesus went back to heaven. Peter became one of the pillars in the early church. Preached a sermon one day about his boy, Jesus. Over 3,000 people got saved. Peter was a champion, right? And who do you have in your life that you would trust your mission and your values and your purposes to? Because those are the people that are in your gang that really love you and support you. You cannot finish the race on your own. God says you need each other. You need to have a gang. And he was with, they were with the 12 on the day that Jesus ascended into heaven. When Jesus was lifted up and carried away back to heaven, and they gave his, his disciples the great commission. The three were there. Yeah, come on up, guys. And there's a three when he left that he shared all of the biggest moments in his life with. Who do you share the biggest moments of your life with? Who's there when you leave? I look at it as simple as this. Who's the one that always, when you're leaving to go somewhere else, who's the person that you immediately go to to give you a ride to the airport? That it could be any time of day or night and they're your airport rides because you know that they love you even if you tell them, hey, come pick me up. It's like three in the morning. They would do it. They love you that much. To me, this is just another thing that Jesus is saying. We need to have this in our life, this gang that would be there with us. So who's in your gang? It doesn't have to be three. It could be two. could be one. could be five. Who do you have in your life that's going to help you run this race? Lock arms with you, and we're going. We're going for the long haul. You're not falling, Carl. Get up. Let's go. Let's do this thing. We need to develop that in our lives. Can I read you one quote? And I want to end with this from Time Magazine. There's this movie that's um, come out now called Interstellar. Anybody seen that movie? This is a new movie called Interstellar, Matthew McConaughey. Anyways, they're, they're asking him about the movie, and they're asking him about the, the hero and what makes a good hero. And Matthew McConaughey says this. Every hero doesn't go, go do this great big hero thing, McConaughey says. They do the simple thing over and over and over. And they have endurance, and they have persistence, and they stick to it. And he goes on, and he says, that's what it is to be a hero. You want to be a hero of the faith? You want to receive the blessing? You want to get all that God has for you? Just keep walking. Just keep stepping over and over again, doing the right thing. You might not get all the glory. You might not feel like it. You might not see immediate results, but you keep stepping. Is that a good word for somebody here this morning? Somebody that's got to be good for you. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. God, we just thank you. We love you for your word. We thank you because, Lord, I know some people in this room need to hear this message today. 
It's been tough on them. Maybe they're in the winter season, the winter months, but God, you're there. You're the same God in the winter, the spring, summer, and fall. And we just need to hold on to you and just keep running. Lord, help us to have that gang that you talked about in the word there, supporting one another. The gang that you had, Jesus, you modeled it for us. Lord, help us to to find that group of people that would be there for us and we could be there for them. Help us to keep going, God. The miracle's right around the corner. We can't see it, but we know it's there. Help us to remember we're in winter, but spring's coming. Spring's around the corner, then summer. And we just look to that, God. If there's anybody here today, you've never made a commitment to God, to Jesus. You've never officially called yourself a Christian. Well, we need to change that because God loves you and he wants to do incredible things in your life. He wants to bless you, heal you, forgive you, give you plans that you never imagined. But he needs to know that you're all in with him. So I'm gonna say a prayer right now to lead anybody in this room that needs to be all in for Jesus Christ, to know that you're a Christian. Maybe you prayed it a long time ago and you've walked away and you think that decision never really made sense to you. But here today, right now, it does. And you want all that God has for you. I wanna say a prayer that would bring you into a right relationship with God that you could walk out of here knowing you are a Christian and that God's gonna bless you, change your life, forgive you, give you eternity in heaven all of that that he promises in his word. So if that's something you'd like to do, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna pray the words out loud for you and with you. I'm gonna ask you to pray them quietly in your heart with me. What I'm saying out loud, you pray it in your heart. After a service, you can go and confess it with your mouth. You can tell people, hey, I prayed that. But right now, it's a very serious, important thing in your heart. So I'm gonna pray a prayer and I want you to pray it with me. God, I wanna be a Christian. I'm gonna follow you. I'm committing to my life of faith, your way over my way. If that's what you want, I just want you to let me know that you're going to pray with me. I want to know who I'm praying with. People seated around you, eyes closed, heads bowed, they're not looking. But I just want to know who I get the privilege to pray with this morning. So if that's you, when I count to three right now, would you just lift your hand to hold it up and say, Pastor, I want Jesus. I want to be a Christian. Real simple on the count of three, just lift your hand until I see it. One, two, three. Is there anybody here right now? I see one hand over here. I'm looking around. Anybody else? As I look around, I see another hand over here. Anybody else in the room that I didn't see? Just a couple hands today. That's good. If God, if, if I didn't see you, God saw you. But just pray this with me. God, I'm here today and I need you. I want you. I need some changes in my life. I, I want to know your blessing and your fulfillment, Lord, and I'm ready to take a step towards you activate my faith as it is. Lord, I believe that Jesus came, he died on the cross to take my place for not having relationship with you. So Lord, I receive that, Lord. I receive the punishment he, he paid to buy me back from this world in my own ways. So Lord, from this moment on, I follow you and that you would live for me and you would love me and forgive me and heal me and, and do all of those things and promise me eternity in heaven. Lord, everything that you have, I want. Lord, as I read my Bible, as I pray, as I get water baptized, as I receive the power of your Holy Spirit in my life, I want it all, Lord, because you promise it, and I want everything that I can get, Lord. I trust you from here on out. I believe that Jesus died on that cross, that he rose again to, to defeat death and defeat, defeat sin in my life. Lord, I, I receive it, I believe it, and I will live it. Thank you for loving me as I continue to walk for you and all that you have in store for me. And in Jesus' name, the church said, amen, amen, and amen. Let's praise God for those people that prayed with us this morning.